Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Spectrum Internet has enough speed to handle all your needs. So you can work, game, and stream with speeds up to a gig. Plus, Spectrum's advanced Wi-Fi provides enhanced security for all your connected devices. Get Spectrum Internet with fast and reliable speeds, starting at just $29.99 a month with a two-year price guarantee. Visit spectrum.com slash internet for you for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Restrictions apply. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Galver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod Pina, who is writing everywhere, GQ, 538, and plenty of other places. Michael, I saw you had a big interview with Bill Walton this week, um, all sorts of other good stuff. People need to be following you on both Twitter and Instagram. Come on, step up, Open Floor Globe. It's at Michael V as in Victor Pina. Now look, I'm giving you such a friendly and nice plug, Michael, <laughs> because today's a tough day. Usually when I call mm-hmm. you in the morning, you're like, hey, buddy, how's it going? You've got all sorts of pep and uh, and charm on the other end. Mm-hmm. Today, it did sound a little bit like your family pet died, Michael. How are you holding up? Um, did Tyler Hero flush your goldfish down the toilet last night? I mean, walk me through the pain of game four with the Miami Heat taking a powerful, commanding 3-1 lead over the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, it was it was brutal. Um, one of those games where, I mean, first of all, like, you know, I was pretty confident in the Celtics just being a more talented, uh, more athletic, faster, uh, better shooting team than the Miami Heat. So, like, I picked them in five before the series, and for it to possibly end the other way is, like, an outcome I didn't even see as possible. Um, I don't think it's going to end in five as it is, but... Just a like it's it's like one of those games where it's just like sports happens and it's completely unpredictable. Um, even though I heading into the series, um, when you watch basketball as a fan, you kind of view it a little differently. Where like when uh, when a certain player has the ball in their hands on the other team that's facing your favorite team, you get really afraid or you get really happy depending on what you think of them and so with Hero even though he's a 20 year old rookie heading into the series just after watching his rookie season and watching him performing against the Milwaukee Bucks 
I was like, when Tyler Hero has the ball in his hands, I, I don't feel comfortable. Like, I feel physically ill. I want him to pass it immediately and just, like, relocate. No, he's a um, chainsaw massacre waiting to happen. I feel you. I don't think you're the only he, fan so base, good. by the way, who feels that way about him. Uh, but continue. No, he's he's incredible. And, like, I, I think I saw um, or heard on a, one of Zach Lowe's recent podcasts, like, uh, the Miami Heat believe that Tyler Hero can be better than Devin Booker someday. And there's so many similarities there, physically, how they play. Um, and that is really scary to think about. Just like the fact that this dude had 37 in Game 4 of the Eastern Conference Finals against one of the best defenses uh, in the league. And it, this Whoa, is his wait first go-around. So is someday like next Monday or Tuesday? I mean... I mean <laughs> <laughs> He's got more big game experience already than Devin Booker in his first year. I'll say that. Um, I kid slightly, Michael. This is going to seem like I'm really digging in, but I can understand how blindsided you sound and and rightfully how blindsided you feel at this moment. I didn't see game four playing out that way either. It was a game that was right there for the taking because both teams were struggling so much offensively. Miami was not hitting anything from outside. Boston got a big zero uh, from number zero in the first half, and it was just a strange game. It seemed like perhaps they were playing with heavy hearts because of the Breonna Taylor um, ruling that came out. Both Jimmy Butler and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown all talked about that in their postgame comments. Uh, Tyler Hero did too, and frankly, both coaches did um, before the game. So it was a major topical conversation. You don't know if that... Mm -hmm influenced exactly how this game uh, shook out or if it was a matter of, um, you know, an extended break really for the first time during the postseason runs for these guys and, and trying to get back into it or if just defense was better than offense. Regardless, the game was there for the taking and the youngest guy on either roster, a player who was born in the year 2000, decided to take it. I mean, just for historical context, Tyler Hero's 37 points were the second most ever in an NBA playoff game by a player before his 21st birthday. The only guy to do, it's a very obscure name uh, for all of our listeners around the world. You might have heard of him, Magic Johnson, in the 1980 finals with the incredible 42 points before his 21st birthday. So um, very, very special company for Hero. And he did not do it uh, on easy shots. I mean, so much of it was one-on-one. So much of it was actually Booker style, frankly. You know, creating stuff off the dribble, doing it in late shot clock. Um, you know, just finding ways to beat defenses and, and continue to work, um, even though they're trying to take you away. And he just kept coming and coming and coming. It was a phenomenal performance. But my question here is, Michael, on, on this blindsided uh, aspect for Boston, let's say they did go out in five after all of this and certainly I I looked at them as a championship uh, caliber team after mm-hmm. they took that 3-2 lead over Toronto um, you look at the two rosters um, and certainly coming into the series both of us thought that Boston was better you could have an argument that Boston's still better at this point of the series although that's getting a little bit harder to uh, to make that case as as this unfolds and they struggle in, especially in big moments late um, I'm curious how big of a disappointment would it be if Boston goes down in five? I mean, no one's getting fired, right? This isn't like a Milwaukee Bucks or a Clippers no. situation, but that doesn't really feel good enough for this Boston Celtics team, does it? Or are you saying, you know what, the hay is already in the barn. We got through Toronto. We made the conference finals. Everything's hunky-dory. We're going to be back. We're young. I mean, what's your takeaway if Boston does lose this thing in five? I 
I don't think it's even close to as disastrous um, as the Bucks loss or as the Clippers loss because you just look at how those teams were constructed and what their futures are. It's just like a completely different situation. Um, Boston's super young. Their best player is 22 years old. Um, they but, have Jalen Brown locked up for the foreseeable future. So point taken, but there's stuff left on the table, right? I mean, you're not oh, happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's oh, going to be a yeah. segment of the fan base that really wants Brad Stevens' you know, job, right? I mean, so, someone's well, yeah, going to yeah. – there's going to be people who are angry, I guess is my point. Some of those green beer Celtics yeah, fans no. are going to be overflowing with rage. No, look, the Miami Heat are a five seed, right? Um, and – the team, I think, that was the five seed during the regular season is a little different um, than this team in the bubble for a variety of reasons. I mean, you have Bam starting at the five, um, completely shifting just who they are and what they're what they're able to do in the lineups that they play. And obviously, Tyler Hero just coming on as this chainsaw massacre, as you said. Um, but no, I like I thought that, and I still I still do think that the Celtics are. Um, perfectly capable of coming back for a variety of reasons that we can get into but if they do lose in five or they lose in six yeah it's it's super disappointing I mean no question about it um there's there was really no reason for them to blow game two the way they did there was no reason for um you know there was emotional baggage potentially on both sides um before game four um but the first half of Game Four, I don't know what it felt like in the gym, Ben, but on television that was so similar to watching like a Pistons Hornets game in the middle of January. There was just no energy whatsoever, and um, maybe that's just because of the way uh, some of the best players on the floor were playing, including Jason Tatum, who just looked like he looked hurt <laughs> for the first half. Like honestly, just like physically. Uh, hobbled um which you can't really say is the case because he had 28 in the second half and he looked pretty he was moving a lot better particularly on the defensive end so yeah it, like to answer your question it would be it would be me- a mega disappointment um particularly like the clippers are out um the bucks they didn't have to go through the bucks the raptors were such a formidable opponent that really tested them and to get through that team you kind of thought that the finals they were in the clear to go to the finals so to lose the way that they have, uh, not to take anything against the Miami Heat, but against a team that you know has one traditional uh, all-star caliber player wing and Jimmy Butler who could really damage you. And for Jimmy to not even go off in this series and for you to still lose in five would be, that would be humiliating. Yeah, not to mention this is probably Boston's last best shot at a title, right, Michael? I mean, with this group. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I'm messing with you. I do think it's actually a, a pretty big disappointment. I mean, it's not a disaster by any stretch, and it's the kind that I actually think people would get over quickly. But if they go down in five, there's going to be some real meltdowns online. And I'm already hearing from a few Celtics fans I talked to where they're just trying to figure out, like, who can they blame? Like, who's the fall guy? And I think in this situation, like, 
a lot of it just boils down to Tyler Hero was absolutely ridiculous. He had the game of Correct. his life. His game is absolutely perfectly suited for the bubble. So is his personality. It's a lot like Jamal Murray, where these guys only care about basketball. They, they're they really creative off the dribble. They've got deep bags. They've got the green light here. They're feeling it because there's no crowd pressure, and they're just going nuts. My favorite stat from game four was the bench scoring, Michael. Miami wins the bench scoring. 40 to 22 and hero had 37 thanks thanks for the shot andre guadala to, to kind of chip in there and help with that advantage i mean just an incredible line there um so when i'm looking at uh boston and we're saying what went wrong in that first half i mean first of all you're saying what, what did it feel like um in the gym i mean it felt like watching a ghost movie i don't know casper or something like that i mean you had number zero just jogging around out there not doing anything I mean, just passing up every shot. I didn't really see the injury stuff that I know some people were getting, uh, you know, building that buzz, and you just mentioned that. Part of it is that he stretches so much before games, Tatum does, that he looks like the most limber superstar. He can pretty much kick his foot above his head. Have you ever seen him do that? It's almost like, yeah, he like has this very intense stretching routine. Everybody else is shooting jumpers and he goes and stretches for like 10 minutes. So he can like kick his foot above his head, um, basically at will. So I think anyone who can do that actually is not injured. I think it's impossible to do that if you're injured, basically. So my, my personal diagnosis was that he was that's fine. That's your medical opinion? Yeah, nice. he was just shook. That's that was my, uh, that's my analysis. He, <laughs> okay. he just didn't want the moment. I mean, he just kept passing mm-hmm. the ball. He wasn't, um, you know, really seeking out his own offense. He looked like he was in a blur. That happens. You know, Brad Stevens' comment after the game is like, hey, look, that's basketball. Sometimes guys adjust after halftime and they lock themselves in. Sometimes they're not there. Of course, the timing uh, of not being there is really questionable. What happened? And then was it uh, in relation to the the delay? I mean, they did break their routine for the first time in a long time of not playing every other day with that – with that extended break, did that hurt him? I guess that's one possible explanation. Or maybe we find out there is something going on. What led you to believe he was hurt? Like, were there symptoms? Was he favoring something? Why did you uh, reach that conclusion? Or was it just the fact that he was horrible in the biggest game of the season? So, okay, so, I mean, he had 28 in the second half. Let's let's tone it down a little Actually, bit with the I horrible. Actually, was, I was going to ask you on that. Was that the worst 28-point performance in NBA history when you consider <laughs> how it played out? <laughs> I mean, honestly, like if you really think about it, it's hard to have a bad 28. But to me, like he is the fall guy for game four. And there's other guys you can blame for sure. Kemba was getting. Yeah, no, I have I have some other fall guys. But to answer your question, uh, this goes back to game two and just his energy level in that game. And there was this one play where, uh, you know, Jimmy on one of Jimmy's pick sixes, he had like 17 of them. But on one of them, Tatum like was at midcourt and did not run back to uh, just defend the play at all. And he, there was a a moment where it looked like Jimmy was going to like the, I forget who it was, maybe smart was going to actually steal it back. And so he was just kind of standing at, at midcourt and that's an energy thing. Um, I was also just hearing from different people who, you know, uh, would potentially know uh, that he, might be injured or playing through uh, a, a physical ailment. And I, there was this one play actually where, so I, I guess like, let me, let me back up for two seconds. So I wrote this piece about his step back jumper and his step back three and how effective it is and how he can basically go to it whenever he wants. And after I wrote that piece, he basically stopped 
I, I, like I think he maybe has attempted one since then. And it's so, amazing. Now, is it a confidence and pressure thing or is it a physical thing? Because that's something so, that we see with much lesser shooters. You know, Giannis, Demar Derozan. Once they actually hit the point where they start to feel pressure, those perimeter dude, weapons okay. disappear. It, right? It, yeah, this dude is not Giannis or uh, Demar Derozan. This dude is maybe uh, one of the best step back three point shooters in the NBA right. at a very high volume. But every player so, faces pressure, I guess is my point. Okay. And so if he's yes. hitting the pressure point deep in the Eastern Conference Finals and DeMar DeRozan is hitting the pressure point in game one of the first round, that's sort of where the comparison <laughs> comes in, right? <laughs> okay, okay. So uh, there was this one play where he he attempts a step back three over Hero uh, at the end of the second quarter in game two. And the, there was like four seconds left on the clock or something and Miami got the rebound and was able to kind of push it a little bit and get like a half court heave and after Tatum missed the shot he bent over and put his hands on his knees as if he was in physical pain as opposed to finishing out the play and I thought that that I watched that play and I was like that is that's a strange reaction for someone to have before the whistle, um, before the, the buzzer sounds. I was just like, I, I, it was very confusing. I don't know what's going on with him. I don't want to give excuses or anything like that. No, no that's but, interesting. You do sound like a soccer dad right now where you're like, oh no, <laughs> Billy, did you sprain your ankle on that cross? But I, it, that's interesting. I had, I had not noticed that. Um, anyway, continue. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, I'm. this is like all conjecture and not fact-based so maybe we can move on from that but i want to can we can we talk about like other fall guys oh for sure um, if you if you want to shift the blame by all means we can we can no. certainly do that <laughs> um yeah so i saw a couple guys who i thought especially late in that game maybe got picked on or exposed i mean it seems like kemba's having a really rough series i know stevens took him from the game at one point in the fourth quarter um I think mm-hmm. maybe we had predicted that coming into the playoffs, but to see it in that moment was jarring for sure, I would say. Um, and then I also think Hayward, uh, again, not to kind of uh, beat this dead horse because I was going off about this on the last podcast, um, you know, he's helpful for sure. You're glad he's out there. But at certain moments, he also uh, was getting beat. I mean, I, I think of that layup that, that Dragic got uh, past him in the paint and a few other situations where maybe he's a half step slow. And I, to me, you mentioned this idea of, you know, maybe whether it's fatigue or, or whatever else sinking in. I think both teams really look tired, and I think that that was kind of the difference late in the game. I mean, remember that wide-open three that Dragic got in the left corner? Um, you know, one of the daggers before they nearly, you know, kissed the whole game away late with the crazy fouls and yeah, all that can stuff. I, can I, can, uh, can yeah. I talk about that play for two seconds? Please. Um, was it fatigue so that, or did I miss something? No, th- I mean, that came off... So the Celtics were small, I believe, uh, in that possession. Maybe Tice was on the floor um, hiding out on Crowder or whoever. I don't think Crowder was in the game, but he was hiding out somewhere if he was in the game. And so it was basically a switch situation um, because Gordon and Tatum, I believe, were defending, or Gordon and Jalen were defending Bam and uh, Jimmy Butler, who were running a pick and roll. And in that spot, you switch. That's why you're small. That's the whole point. You've got these rangy wings. That's what you do. And instead, they trap Jimmy Butler for no reason. So Jimmy hits Bam. Bam is in a four-on-three. Bam forces the defender um, out of the corner, who would be on Dragic, and finds Dragic in the corner for the wide-open three. And it was like, this is... So, like, 
I think Brad Stevens is a great coach. I don't know if I don't know like if that was I have a very hard time believing that that was what they were supposed to execute on that play. So was, you can't really... It was very Warriors-esque with the tic-tac-toe passing to find that shooter. What stuck out to me is that throughout a lot of the series, when you're in that situation, there would inevitably be a Celtics player sprinting out hard to that shooter, right? And it just felt like that was the moment they broke. There was nobody within 15 feet. It was the most open shot they've conceded maybe the entire playoffs, right? And that that no, was sure. that was where I was like, all right, well, they, they screwed the scheme up, right? But they also, that was the backbreaker. That was that moment where it was like nobody could dig deep to chase 20 feet to go, you know, put a hand up. It was kind of like that was the possession they gave up. No, and I, I don't even think there was a point to trying to close out if you're 15 feet. You know what I mean? Like the, the whole, the point, the, the play crumbled when like the point of attack was what they decided to do at the point of attack. Um, but so like, I, I think Brad Stevens is a, is a really good coach. And I mean, he was like trending on Twitter last night and this morning and, and he's getting killed for a lot of the decisions that he's made. Um, that one was very just, I don't know if the players decided to do that on their own or what it was. Cause they were switching. They've been switching throughout basically the whole series. Um, so I don't know. That would have been a really weird time to uh to do something like that um they just broke down man i'm sorry like i understand what you're saying but i think that that they just folded they they got too tired it became too much and that's that's the moment that they died on the vine so who's your fall guy kemba if it's not brad and it's not and it's not tatum who are you blaming here well i think that you know uh Marcus Smart had a terrible game. Uh, Holy cow, he did! You know, I've been calling him an elite shot misser for years, and he's been proving me wrong a lot in these playoffs. But that was an elite shot misser performance. I mean, if you want to talk about clutch misses, big time misses, bad misses, you know, like clanging them off the back of the right. rim far. It, okay, so for me, it's never really about whether he makes or he misses that I I, I criticize because I think he's a fine shooter he's he's average to good at this point in his career I think the bigger thing is and having an understanding of when it is the right time to pull the trigger and one of his threes late in the game early clock it was semi-contested and he just pulls up from the left wing above the break when the Celtics are, you know, they have momentum and they're trying to 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 come back and and regain the lead in a really close game, and he pulls the trigger and it's like not even close. And it's like you're what two for whatever from the floor. I don't think he even made a three. Maybe he made one three. I'm not even looking at the box score, but I can't remember him making a three it, in it that was, game. It was one for eight. Let me ask you. I'm going to give you three choices of, of a player. Okay, sure. you can have Michael Jordan. You can have <laughs> LeBron James. Or you can have Jason Tatum with Marcus Smart's confidence. Which player do you take? <laughs> um, yeah, that's a hell of a player. I mean, I always do this exercise with like, what would player X look like if he had R- Russell Westbrook's brain? <laughs> um, so, so, so yeah, no, that's funny. Um, but can I just, I, I do have another criticism Um Please for, bring them out. Stevens. Trust me, there is nothing the Open Floor Globe wants to hear more than anguished Celtics self-loathing. So keep it coming. <laughs> okay, so Tyler Hero is just uh, bludgeoning you over the head, right? And 
every time he lets go of the ball, you feel like it's going in. Like I don't maybe I, I don't think I'm the only person who felt that way. Um, I'm sure you did too. I'm sure a lot of other people did. And a lot of his possessions, especially the ones where he's actually trying to score, Kemba Walker is his defender. I'm just like I understand that the Celtics are weary of Goran Dragic and the performance he had in Game One um, at the end down the stretch. Um, and for parts of game two, where he's just a really, you know, effective offensive player who gives a lot of gives you a lot of problems. So they've primarily had Goran, um, they primarily had Marcus Smart on Goran Dragic, and he's done a really good job shutting him down um, ever since. But last night it was like Tyler Hero is just like dousing you in gasoline. It's maybe time to take Kemba Walker off of him. Just a thought. Yeah, great matchup there. Loved it. <laughs> and put and put Marcus Smart on him. I like I don't you know, if this if the if that forces the Miami Heat to transition away from Hero and go to Dragic and let Dragic try to attack Kemba or whatever what what they want to do. Like I don't I just there were look. There were like a lot of shots that Hero made that were just like you got to tip your cap. But at the same time, you also should be making adjustments on the fly in the game. And I thought that eventually, you know, they put Jalen on him eventually. But it's like it's, they waited so long. I mean, the guy had thirty-seven. Like it, it's just you got to. He needs to be like the number one offensive player on your scouting report right now for the rest of the series. Like I don't care. Like he is. He is diabolical. It's like, I, I, so that was just very confounding to me, yeah, and I no, had to I, get that one off my chest. I'm glad you used that phrase, tip your hat, because it really did feel like, you know, as that was unfolding, Stevens and everybody had a choice, and it was like, look, do you bet that the 20-year-old rookie is going to actually do this and beat you, or do you expect him to come back to earth at least somewhat and, you know, you can keep the rest of your defense as is, locked down on the guys who were supposed to be Miami's main guys and find a way to, to gut it out. And it felt like he went with the second solution. And, you know, ultimately, like, he spent half of his post-game press conference tipping his hat to Tyler Hero saying, yeah, his shot making was the difference and everything else. I mean, that they just went down with that ship. I know that the Celtics have a mascot named Lucky the Leprechaun who does wear a hat. Oh, could, could we possibly do an alternate logo of Lucky where he tips his hat to Tyler Hero and maybe that could be like a, a new logo for that 2020-2021 season? What do you think, Michael? This household does not acknowledge Lucky. Um, <laughs> he is an abomination. You should not, like, I forget if we've ever talked about this, but you should not. He's my least favorite, like, thing about, I'm sure he's a nice person. He's my least favorite thing about the Celtics organization. I just, if you're a mascot, you're a mascot. You're not like a white guy that can't like, it just like that can't be what's going on here i don't know what what's taking them so long to change that it's terrible i hate it so much uh thank you for bringing up lucky and ruining my day you're very welcome and i'd also say uh when boston plays small in the clutch they remind me of a group of leprechauns that's all i will add to that point all right um michael when we look back on this um, celtic series um is there a turning point moment was it this game four was it something within this game four was it just heroes explosion um that we're gonna say all right this is where it was lost or are you by the way still holding out hope for celtics and seven because we did get a couple celtics and seven emails and i want to know are you in that uh in that camp 
No, I don't think that the series is over by any stretch. Um, the Celtics still have a lot of really good players. Um, I think that they, you know, I wouldn't say that they've solved the zone by any means. That would be a foolish thing to say because it's still pretty effective and was effective in big spots down the stretch last night. But these games have been super close, man. Like, it could easily have... This series could basically be, besides Game 3, it could be a sweep for the Celtics. It could be uh, a... It could could be 3-1 Miami. It could be... um, tied it could be so like i think that uh you, you know you look at the point differential i think it's like exact on the money where both teams are tied with the same net rating which is pretty funny um so no i don't think that the miami heat have this uh incredible advantage that has led me to believe they are the better team and they are superior and that they will win in five or six i don't i, I don't think that um I still think that, uh, particularly in the bubble, where like there's no home court fact uh, as a factor, and I, I I wonder like how much I know I'm uh, 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 rambling a little bit, but like how much home court affects someone like Tyler Hero on a night like that. You know what I mean? Like as the game is progressing, he's going on and he's feeling more comfortable, and there's like no, there's like nothing to jibe his rhythm at all that you would otherwise have if he was in Boston or if, even if he was in Miami. No, I um, think it's true. Both him and Jamal Murray just keep showing it, and especially Murray, where if mm-hmm. you do get hot, I mean, here's what I would love to see. You know, this whole debate about oh, the hot hand, like does the hot hand exist? I've mm-hmm. always just been mm-hmm. kind of an old school dude who's like, all right, save the research papers, like. I personally got hot like three times during my basketball career, so I therefore believe in the hot hand for my entire life. I would love yes. for a guy like Tyler Hero to come out during his post-game press conference and be like, you know, I understand there's a lot of debate back and forth both sides about whether the hot hand exists, but I just want to say I, that I settled it for once and for all. It, it does actually exist. I just proved it. Thank you very much and have a good day. It, and then walk off. It definitely off. exists. <laughs> Can you imagine if MIT and how they would respond to that? It'd be so funny. Um but no, I, I think you're right. I think that these conditions are absolutely ideal for scores. No travel, plenty of rest time, same gym, same hoops. Um, there was a while there where they were using multiple gyms for some of these series. So like you would go back and forth between what they call the field house and the arena. Now they're playing in strictly the arena. Um, the, there's no noise. There's no real distractions. Hero actually has a cheering section. He's by far the favorite player of the Miami Heat wives and girlfriends. They all just go nuts for him and children. So like he does get some positive reinforcement. And by the way, I think he's pretty much the favorite player of the media section too. I mean, he had a lot of people ooing and aahing as he was going nuts last night. This brings me to my final question uh, for this section, Michael. And it's a little bit of a curveball. I'm curious, where does Hero rank for you as like an all-time Celtics antagonist or opponent? And I ask this question. <laughs> Here's why I ask it. And look, this series is not over. I don't want to rush to it. And, and certainly, I, I'm with you. Boston's not going to go down without a fight. And Miami, by the way, was bracing for it. That's what they were saying in their post-game press conference. Like, we know what these guys are about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only going to get tougher to close them out. But if you go back a couple of years, do you remember Kelly Olynyk's just ridiculous Game 7 against the Washington Wizards? There. Right. Yeah. So, Great I night. mean, 
Washington Wizards fans were scarred for life by that Kelly Olynyk <laughs> performance, right? And so, like, they will always, always associate Kelly Olynyk with like their deepest possible pain. So, I'm curious when you're looking at like you know recent uh, postseasons uh, for Boston, like where does Hero stack up, and and who are some of the other guys that pop to your mind as like God, that guy killed us. LeBron James, uh, Kyrie Irving. No, I, I, it's like <laughs> nothing but Hall I, of Fame company for Tyler Hero. <laughs> no, but actually, I, I wanted to find out just how ridiculous this was historically for Hero. And you, you mentioned the Magic Johnson stat, but I went a little deeper with it. And I wanted to know, you know, what rookie off the bench, how many rookies off the bench have scored at least 30 uh, in the playoffs? And there were five guys in history, including Hero, and uh, three total, so two other guys, uh, did it against the Celtics, which is pretty cool, I guess, or terrible, depending on what your point of view is. Um, And so Andrew Toney, in 1981, game two of the conference finals, drops 35, seven boards, seven assists, uh, makes no threes, which is and only attempts one, which is obviously just a sign of the times. Um, and Jeff Rulon, who uh, scored thirty three uh, in not the conference finals, um, uh, in and both of those games were losses too, which just like even more so, just like is painful because Hero thirty seven thirty six minutes unstoppable um, game four like. Yeah, so historically, uh, you know, if the Celtics go on to lose this series, I I think that Hero's performance um, will potentially be what I remember the most. And obviously, there's a lot of basketball to be played. I also just am more, it's just like how my brain works. Like when you're the favorite, and I thought that the Celtics coming in the series should have been considered the favorite. Um you got to look at like what the Celtics did wrong a little bit more than what happened on the other side um, and to control what you can control. And they haven't done a good job of controlling what they can control. Um, and I put a lot of that on, on, I think Brad is a great coach. I put some of it on him, like Grant Williams, <laughs> not really playing in game four. That was, that's weird. I don't, I, I don't understand that. Um, and some of the defensive matchups that we discussed earlier some of the strategies stuff that we discussed earlier um so hero is for sure up there historically i don't really know who else in terms of just like people who've broken my heart here's your research project if if the celtics do lose by the next episode i'm gonna Uh want a top five celtics heartbreakers and we can go through and and really dig deep into your it's really (laughs) here's here's what i would say too michael like you know, I've noticed that as well when I dig through basketball reference that there's a lot of matchups against the Celtics, like you're saying, Andrew, Tony. I mean, they always pop up as like the antagonist. I've certainly noticed that. I mean, I think that's one of the things about having such a long and, and glorious track record as a franchise. I just have noticed, though, that there's fewer comparison points if you dig in like kind of and just really drill down to like final stats. Like you rarely see the Celtics, especially in the modern era, uh, pop up in those. I'm not sure why that is. I guess it's just they, they come up short a lot. Maybe they just go out in the second and third round a little bit. Um, but yeah, other than that, I, I do see them in a, in a lot of those comparisons. Yeah, I will say um, I, I'm just going to ignore everything that you just said. But 
I will say that uh, <laughs> Jeff Jeff Green in the 2018 Eastern oh, Conference yeah. Finals. Oh, that's a great game one. Seven. That's one that I I'm just never. Everyone talks about all the missed threes and Terry Rozier. I will never get over Jeff Green, who was a former Celtic and uh, the he was least very reliable painful. player of all time. Right? Like <laughs> exactly. the, he, very, he's the very anti-hero. Painful. He's the anti-hero. Exactly. He's, the, he's he, the anti-hero in a lot of ways. Um, pun intended and i remember i tweeted before that game like i just like i don't even know why i did this but i tweeted something very negative about jeff green just because i'm not a nice person and then he goes out and he just rips the heart out of my chest so i deserve that one but that one also sticks with me there's no distance too far for the perfect trip hi checking in for or the perfect table hey where are you And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Oh, that's such a clutch pickup, Dave. <laughs> I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. All right, let's shift gears here quickly and discuss the um, Breonna Taylor ruling. Now, obviously, that came down on Wednesday, um, you know, I think early afternoon, perhaps, or somewhere around there. And it was definitely felt uh, in all quarters of the bubble, and I'm sure everywhere across the country. Um, you heard 
Nuggets coach Michael Malone discuss it. You heard the Lakers and Danny Green discuss their team reaction. You heard before the game both Spolstra and uh, Brad Stevens discuss it. There was some questioning like just in my own mind and actually of those coaches like were these guys going to take the court? I mean at that point you know we're deeper the stakes are higher in the playoffs but you could also understand guys you know being so demoralized by that news that they just didn't want to play we, we saw that earlier a few weeks i think that was still fresh on everyone's mind once mm-hmm. i got to the arena all that kind of talk went to the side everybody was going through warm-ups like normal and it seemed like they were good to go uh, we found out later that you know a guy like tatum and brown essentially said look we were prepared for the worst you know it's not like we were surprised here you know we're sad but like Mm -hmm. we kind of saw where this was going and that probably contributed to the decision to play um when you were watching the reactions lebron james chimed in on twitter jamal crawford uh demarcus cousins you know a number of people had strong words uh both inside the bubble and outside the bubble um you know what was your day like yesterday how did you process um you know everything that was said from the nba players and and did anybody's comments really stick out to you yeah i mean me personally it's it's just super deflating as you said it it is expected i don't think anyone who's been living in this country or has been following this case or following the history of uh police officers um and uh, how they are held accountable for their actions would be surprised by yesterday's decision not to indict on any charges of murder, the people who murdered Breonna Taylor. But um, it's still just, uh, uh, it's like an insult almost to like the senses and uh, to charge one officer for shooting in uh, a neighboring apartment um, wanton endangerment, I think, is what the charge was, uh, and not charging the officers who killed a human being um, is—it's truly unbelievable. But I, everyone that you said, um, I, I took note of every NBA player and 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 coach. Um, I, I want to highlight uh, one you didn't mention, uh, uh, Mike Mike Malone uh, with the Nuggets, and I just am so impressed by his um his eloquence in addressing social injustice throughout this entire bubble experience so i just wanted to shout him out and him just explicitly saying you know we have not gotten justice and that's a shame and just hearing someone say those words out loud is always meaningful to me um his uh decision to put himself in kenneth walker's shoes kenneth walker was Brianna Taylor's boyfriend who shot uh, one of the police officers when they came into his apartment. Um, and just that's just empathy. That is uh, like that is if more people tried to put themselves in other people's shoes, the world would be such a better place. So it was really nice to hear him um uh, frame it that way. I, I so I want to just applaud him really quickly, and then oh yeah, and, you know, he al- you, and by the way, real quick, he also tied mm-hmm. that case to the Elijah McClain case yes. in Colorado, which is one that he's been advocating on, you know, on behalf of for the entire bubble, you know, and yes. And, yes. and also for him, I, I'm sure that's frustrating because his megaphone is big here, especially now that he's in the conference finals, but it's not even big relative to other NBA 
personalities, right? I mean, I think that Michael Malone, I call him a little bit of a grandstander because he gets out there in front of the microphone and knows exactly what he's going to say. He's trying to make points. When he said he wanted families in the bubble for coaches, he let everybody know, including Adam Silver, right? Um, But he's also the coach of the Denver Nuggets, and I think he actually Mm -hmm. joked uh, that nobody listens to his coach's show that he does back in Denver because someone had mentioned it on a Zoom call that they had just heard his interview, and he's like, really? You must be the only person that listens to it. (laughs) So for him it's got to be like triply frustrating, right? Because you're never getting the feedback of like, oh yeah, you know, this guy is really leading on this issue or like you're, you're trying to build momentum to Elijah McClain. And it's like, ultimately, you know, the, the name that people were really focused on throughout the bubble was Breonna Taylor. I went back through my stories from the last couple of months. It's unbelievable how many times players mentioned her um, either in interviews or in other advocacy uh, issues. And for Michael Malone to have one that he really cares passionately about, he can't get people's attention to or doesn't feel like he's necessarily breaking through. That's really tough. And I, I admired his ability in that moment to take what was obviously a negative and try to spin it forward as, as well as he possibly could. And, um, and, and, you know, I think it got us talking about it. So yeah. in, in that case, yeah. he's successful. Yeah, for sure. And, um, I think what's really uh, fascinating about Breonna Taylor's case in particular is just how her name uh, has come to symbolize uh, just police brutality in a way that um, specific cases, other specific cases and instances have not. And so when all the players are using her name and, and advocating for justice, uh, it's about her 100% and it's about her case, but it's also about so much more. And when you're as focused as they, as the players and the coaches have been um, trying to find justice um, uh, for her and for her family, um, for that to just not work out at all, despite the pressure that you have attempted to put using the platform and using the bubble. I just can't imagine, even though it was very predictable and foreseeable, I can't imagine how frustrating that must feel for the players inside the bubble. Um, so even though it was expected in a way that, you know, um, in a way that Jacob Blake's shooting is not expected, um, you didn't know that, it, that this was planned, that we knew that there was going to be an announcement this week. Um, it's it's still just it must be very difficult for them to to deal with and to cope with I think the reason why the Breonna Taylor case stuck with so many players it was this idea that there was no possible method for her to protect herself right I mean this wasn't a situation where hey if she had only handled things differently with a police officer you know if she had only followed the instructions like getting out of the car or if you know she had only done x y and z maybe something else would have been different you know in this case it's the idea that even if you're at home you're still a potential target and still a potential victim and could find yourself on the wrong side of a system that doesn't necessarily care about your well-being and or doesn't necessarily prioritize it and I think LeBron has, you know, talked, he's used language like, you know, we feel hunted uh, by the guns in America. Um, you know, I think he's also had a long statement on Twitter yesterday about black women and how they are sort of, uh, you know, taken advantage of by society or, or always kept to last. 
um, you know, for everything and how he was trying to kind of highlight them and, and prop them up as uh, as queens, right, to try to reverse that narrative. It's got to be, you know, you know, putting yourself in these player situations, especially when you're mm-hmm. detached from your own families, it's got to be just so heartbreaking. And, and the feeling of um, helplessness and a, a lack of answers, I, I do think that's why this particular case resonated with them so much. And I actually think, in hindsight, they wanted more, obviously. And I loved that Tyler Hero was the one to say that money is not justice. You know, there was a $12 million settlement with the family. So I'm sure the the city or the authorities look at it like, well, hey, they didn't go home empty handed. But, um, you know, certainly from the reaction from the players, you could realize that's not what they wanted. I mean, the money, people will always accept money, but um, that was not the ultimate goal. But I think when the players kind of look back on this, um, it will be a a long-term advocacy project that I think will inspire future projects among NBA players and WNBA players going forward. I think that they will look at this perhaps as a setback, but also as something where they completely changed the conversation around her and raised it and kept it in the news and kept people tweeting about it for months. And Mm -hmm. they should not view that as, you know, being... Uh, you know, something that uh, that had no dividends. Like, for example, I saw LeBron and and Donovan Mitchell apologizing to the family, right? I'm so sorry. I, I can't believe this happened. And I understand that sentiment. They must feel you know, maybe some level of guilt or like they came up short or like, you know, they're athletes. They're, they're used to winning. And anytime they lose, those kinds of feelings are going to come through. I think putting myself in the position of the family or their attorneys, I would basically say, why are you apologizing? You know, thank you so much for what you guys did. And, um, you know, you're not to blame here. And I think ultimately they'll, when there's more time and distance, I hope they're, they're going to be able to take that lesson that even though they didn't get what they wanted in this particular situation, it was a very powerful push. Yeah, 100%. And I, I actually just did an interview with Chris Weber um, to talk about uh, the viral... Uh, emotional monologue that he gave about a month ago on the day that the Milwaukee Bucks decided to uh, sit out their game and the NBA season kind of stopped. Um, and one of the things that he said that stuck with me is that <clears throat> players, the actions that the players have made in the bubble, um, you know, th- it's unrealistic to expect overnight change from basically anything that they do. But the whole thing value there is to inspire uh, the next generation of players and the next generation of just people in this country to see uh, to see people in power who have who have money and know that it affects them as well and that it's okay to uh, to speak out and stand up for what you believe in and so I thought that that was really um, uh, an interesting thing an interesting point to make going Ab- forward. Absolutely. And everybody check that story out. I'll be sure to go um, give that a read as well, Michael. Hey, let's uh, let's dig into the Western Conference Finals here a little bit. And then we've got some rapid fire questions at the end to get through, which is always dangerous because that means this could be a two hour podcast. But uh, we got a question from Luke. He writes, I was shocked by Ben's disrespect for my countryman, Daniel Tice, in the last episode. What he does in this series is intelligent load management uh, with the foul trouble. Why should he waste his strength now when he needs to go head-to-head against Anthony Davis in two weeks? I'm glad that Michael the Pod Penis stepped in before it got really ugly. 
Hopefully Luke's kidding on some of that stuff. He continues, I couldn't stay mad at Ben for long because immediately afterwards on that episode, uh, his nickname for Nikola Jokic, the hypotenuse king, was legendary. I am quite disappointed, though, that the nickname is still not listed on Basketball Reference. That could be a long wait, Luke. I'm not sure that one's going to catch on, although I am a little bit proud of it, hence why I read this email. In any case, he asks, In June or July, there was a lot of talk that the 2020 NBA champion would be marked with an asterisk in the history books because of all the circumstances. A lot of things are different, to be fair. I feel like the level of these games, though, is so high, and we have seen so many highlights already, that there really won't be much talk about an asterisk when the finals are over. In hindsight, the talk about the asterisk was a bit overblown, and the champion will not be evaluated differently. Uh, they will be the same as all champions before and after. What do you think? So, Michael, just quickly, I know that you were pretty pro asterisk talk before we got here. Um, Do you buy what he's selling, or do you still view this as uh, one that will be treated differently? I mean, no, I'm not going to sway away from this. Um, I still think there will be an asterisk, but as I said before, uh, when we were recording episodes in June and July, like an asterisk doesn't have to be uh, quote unquote lesser than it just simply labels something as different or an outlier than all the championships and the playoff runs that I love it you're pre- rebranding it. you're rebranding the asterisk I love it yeah no that's I mean that's what it is so like you know there's no home court advantage obviously for teams like the Clippers and teams like uh, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks there's no or you know Raptors fans will will say the same thing about not having. Uh, game seven, uh, which is what they fought for the whole regular season, not having game seven in Toronto. Instead, they have to play the Celtics on a neutral court. Uh, there's no fans. And we discussed what that would mean to someone like Jamal Murray or someone like Tyler Hero, uh, who is just completely unaffected by the crowds. Um, how it, the there not being any crowds impacts refereeing also is something that we haven't discussed on this particular episode, but I think is a real thing that needs to be studied. Um, and then obviously COVID and players in the bubble have test. There's a lot of players in the bubble who have tested positive before they came down. And I'm working on a story right now um, and reporting out just kind of what the impact is of testing positive for COVID and having COVID and then playing professional basketball uh, weeks later and what that does to the body and what we know about it. And so there are certainly instances where like, you know, Nikola Jokic, looks great. Bam Adebayo tested positive also. Uh, he's looked great. But like the timing and the circumstances and every every case is different. And so I think we talked about this earlier, but like um, in an earlier episode, but like Russell Westbrook, uh, uh, his situation where you test positive and you can't, you what pe- I don't think people understand that like when you test positive for COVID, um, you can't do anything physically because of the impact that we know it has on the heart or potential risk it has on the heart. So you just sit there and that messes, as a professional athlete, that does a lot to your body that we don't know as not medical professionals or or physical trainers or anything like that. But it does a lot and it has an impact. And we saw it with Westbrook. We saw it with uh, Montrezl Harrell, who just was like 50% of the Montrezl Harrell who won the Sixth Man of the Year award during the regular season. So like, yeah, I think that it's like, all this stuff is really unique to this season. Um, so to not put an asterisk doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. And again, I don't think it has to be a negative. It's just obviously different <laughs> than any other season that has come prior. 
I guess the way I would split this difference is say that people will remember 2020 as the bubble title, right? Uh, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be viewed in a negative connotation. Being here now for more than two months, we have set into the marathon stage of this thing where like, you know, we're on mile 2021 and it's become a ghost town. There's a lot fewer people here. It does feel like we're all the last people at the party, right? And it's just kind of like... When's this bar going to close anytime soon? <laughs> like nobody wants to go home, like the last few stragglers, right? Um, and I do think that the main takeaway from whoever wins this will be that they were the ones who outlasted everybody else. The kings of the mountain, the last one standing, they deserve to win it simply because um, they were willing to stay for three months and get it done and continue to play at a high level and kind of, uh, you know, hold off all comers. And, you know, through a lot of trying mental, emotional, physical, um, psychological challenges. So I do think that um, that uh, will help validate them. I do think it will help reduce the talk of an asterisk in a negative way, uh, you know, to Luke's question. Um, but I do think it's always going to be remembered as the bubble title. And that's why you should buy my forthcoming book, Michael, <laughs> Bubble Ball, which is now available on Amazon. Um, I was waiting for that. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's uh, get into the Western Conference Finals questions. Zach writes, game one was not an indicator of how this series is going to go. Jokic was sidelined by the refs. Game two was the first game that the Nuggets could even begin to figure out how to play the Lakers. And they got it all the way down to the final shot. Um, you could see in game three, they did a great job of figuring out the Lakers defense. Jokic was playing well. Murray was great down the stretch. I still think Michael Lepod Pina's pick of Nuggets in seven is a real possibility. Could this be the Jokic and Murray show from Zach? I was blown away by Murray's uh, closing effort in game uh, in game three. I want to just you know plug a, a story that I wrote about that. It was such a classic moment where no matter how much the point guard position evolves and we throw all these layers of cool tricks with ball handling and, you know, shooting from 40 feet and everything else, it was just a reminder that like the fundamental task of a point guard is to create order for his team and then to restore order if necessary or when necessary Mm -hmm. during a game. And they go six possessions in a row, Michael, with turnovers. This is chaos. I haven't seen that since middle school. Six turnovers in a row, back to back Mm -hmm. to back to back to back. And somebody needs to just kind of like put the team on his back, calm them down, and take over. And it was Murray hitting a three. It was Murray with the beautiful no-look twisting pass to Millsap for the dunk. And then it was Murray with another three to close that thing out for Denver in the Western Conference Finals outshining both LeBron James and Anthony Davis in that moment. And by the way, not being afraid to step on Nikola Jokic's big toes because that, you know, it has been his team and he's been awesome both within this series at times, but also throughout this playoff run too. Monster, monster performance from a young point guard. And he's been labeled as inconsistent the whole way. He might be the most consistent player in the bubble, if you really think about it, in terms of the quality of his play night to night has just been insane. The the night and day contrast from last year to this year and the personal growth from him has been one of the best stories. And I think when I look back on this bubble experience 
And I say, well, what really defined it? Well, there was lots of just whimsy, right? It was a weird place. It was kind of goofy. You had to adjust to it. There was lots of offensive explosions that were memorable, but there was also these daily tests of will where like every single day you had to wake up and go through all these routines just to even pass the COVID clearance. And then you had to go out Mm -hmm. and do your job night after night after night. The guy who embodies all of those elements, the whimsy, the scoring, the excitement, the unpredictability, overcoming the test of will time after time. To me, it's Jamal Murray. I'm not saying he's the best player in the bubble. I'm saying he is the bubble, okay? He's not the bubble MVP. Jamal <laughs> Murray is the bubble. I I think it's kind of potentially fair to say that he's the best player in the bubble. Like, I'm not, I don't even think that's hyperbolic. Heater, so, a heater. No, I mean, like, obviously LeBron James is in the bubble. Anthony Davis is in the bubble. Um... There are great players in the bubble, for sure. I know that. Um, Jamal Murray, like I, you plugged your story. It was it was a really good read. Everyone should check it out. I agree with everything that you said. Um, I'm going to plug something that I wrote uh, for 538 uh, earlier this week, where I looked at uh, Murray's numbers throughout this playoff run and compared them to Steph Curry's numbers uh, throughout the 2015 championship run. And... Like, look, uh, I'm not saying that Jamal Murray... Can I spoil it? Yeah, you sure you can. They were pretty close, weren't they? They were were pretty close. Um, (laughs) And I will say, like, Murray, obviously Steph... Steph, if you go back and look at Steph's numbers, they're just so silly. Like, he attempted 11 threes a game in that run. Like, that's just not... uh, That's still not a human thing that people do. Um, and made like 45% of them or something like that. Well, that was just Murray, a great time for basketball because nobody knew what you were supposed to do to defend exactly. someone who shot 11 threes. So it was like, hey, yes. keep shooting. Now everybody knows that you've got to pick up and where you have to pick up and everything 100%. else. So it's a totally no, different sport. That's a great point. And that's something that I also covered in the piece, which is like you can never – it's impossible to, 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 to compare someone to Curry in 2015 because it was so unprecedented and it was so revolutionary. So everyone that comes after that is like in his wake and defenses have adapted over the past five years and lineups have adapted and the types of players that teams sign and, and play big minutes has changed um, to kind of prevent guys like Curry from going off. Uh, so for Murray, who's averaging like he's shooting like 48 percent from the three point line in the playoffs on like eight attempts a night, like that is insane. And a vast majority of them are pull up threes. And that pull up three he hit, he hit two at, down the stretch with three minutes to go in that game. One of them was just like this absurd dribble move where he completely shook Alex Caruso out of his shoes and uh, d- like drilled it um, from the top of the key. The next one was like a 35-footer that was just very, very stiff. Like that is the one where he's like shimmying back down the court. Well, that shot was so great because he isolated on Anthony Davis where like if you're talking about having Mm -hmm. length, quickness, um, the ability to guard on the perimeter, like what modern big man in that situation do you want instead of Anthony Davis, right? Like this was not... Timofey Mozgov getting trapped on an island against Steph Curry, right? This is, you know, skill on skill. And Murray's like, okay, I'm going to back up an extra two steps and just firebomb this thing from 35 feet right in your face, swish. Yeah, so just like 
Jamal Murray is just breaking people's brains um, in the same way that that Steph did. And so if you have a guy like that who's like if this is the new Jamal Murray, then like I don't I don't think that the Nuggets should be the favorites in this series quite yet. Um, you know, they're trailing two one still, even though game two was just like a debacle of epic proportions and they should have won that game. But if you have Jamal Murray and Jamal Murray is suddenly Steph Curry, which he has been in this in this run, in this short sample size, then all bets are off. And LeBron knows exactly how it feels to go up against someone like that who is just <laughs> completely irrepressible. And there's really no nothing you can do when he has it going. So, like, um, yeah, shout out to Jamal Murray. He's been sensational. And I, I just, like, this is awesome to see. Let me tie off this part of the conversation with a quote from Eric Spolster, Miami Heat coach, who was asked about Tyler Hero's development. I think applies to Jamal Murray as well. Spolster said last night, everybody overestimates what you can do in a day and they underestimate what you can do in months of work, sweat, and grind when nobody is watching. So what he's saying is there's not one particular breakout moment from Tyler Hero's rookie season where the light, you know, the light bulb switched on. All of a sudden, Hero's now a player. I think you can say the same thing with Murray. I mean, for him, there's all these legendary stories about how hard his dad was on him in terms of not letting him have cell phones and forcing him to be, uh, you know, in the gym and doing all these uh, mental and breathing exercises. Meditation. To, right. Yeah. Yeah. Just basically structuring his whole life around the sport. That work has paid off here and it hasn't stopped. This guy's out on the court early before every game going through this crazy dribbling routine with two basketballs through his legs behind his back getting himself in the right rhythm um, he shoots from all over the court he practices every shot he takes in these games including the crazy step back threes that you're describing um, you know this is a lifelong commitment to the sport from Jamal Murray that has gotten him to this point you could say the same about Steph you can say the same about a lot of NBA players but it's paying off right now, and you just love to see that. Uh, when a guy is that dedicated to his craft and he's getting the results, it uh, doesn't make me cry, but it does uh, bring just a slight little tear to my eye every once in a while, Michael. Maybe I missed up a little bit <laughs> watching somebody completely fulfill their potential. It's beautiful. All right, let's close up here um, with a couple quick questions. I just need a thumbs up or thumbs down or a okay. thumbs sideways on Billy Donovan to the Chicago Bulls. And can you explain to me just the fundamental question here? He leaves Oklahoma City after five years because there's talk that the Thunder are going to go through a rebuild. And yet he goes to a, a Bulls job, which is obviously a rebuild. I mean, they're just building around, you know, three or four recent lottery picks and Zach Levine. Why would you do that if you're Billy Donovan? But does it make sense for Chicago? It definitely makes sense for Chicago. I like this hire a lot in terms of like the credibility that he brings to the table that um, their last head coach uh, could not. Um, well, so I was and- thinking if I worked for The Onion, <laughs> my headline would have been Bulls hire not Jim Boylan, right? Or like smash hit Bulls hire not Jim Boylan and like just have that be the story. Is that why it was a good hire or is it something specific about Billy for you? Well, I think that uh, first of all, if you're Billy, like we don't know exactly the money issues yet. I don't know what has been. Rep- I, don't, I haven't seen anything reported about the exact financial figures that he's getting from Chicago versus what was offered in Oklahoma City, and that might be um, a factor here. But like number one, Chicago, you get to live in Chicago and coach the Bulls. That's just like not the same thing as 
living in Oklahoma City and coaching the Thunder. I know that that like I, I'm gonna say no disrespect, but I also do mean disrespect because like it's just no question. And so the Bulls are, in my opinion, closer to the title than the Oklahoma City Thunder, presuming that the Oklahoma City Thunder trade Chris Paul, which is very likely, and they don't make that James Harden, Joel Embiid blockbuster trade that I suggested (laughs) on here a couple weeks ago. But I think going back to just credibility, um, having Billy Donovan as your head coach is so much different when you go to free agency. I expect this team, which has a lot of cap space in the summer of 2021, I expect them to make a huge jump in terms of just regular season record next season. Um, They had a lot of injuries. Uh, All their guys will be older and there will be much more stability in how they play the game because Billy Donovan is just a good basketball coach who relates to players really well and players respect him. So I, I think this is a really good hire uh, for the Chicago Bulls. And even though we look at them and we say that they're rebuilding, like, I'm not going to say that, you know, they're guaranteed to sign someone like Brad Beal um, in a couple off seasons, but like them going from where they are now to uh, winning a playoff series, I don't think is as far as it might seem. Look, they needed to establish competence, you know, just bottom line. And I think that Billy yep. Donovan, if nothing else, does that. I think that... Um, you know, is he going to be a free agent draw and all that? I don't know, but he's definitely going to be better than Boylan on, on that kind of a front. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's pretty simple there. I also think for him, you can make the case that he's just a couple years ahead in the rebuilding cycle. Like if Oklahoma City does trade Chris Paul and they're starting fresh and now it's Shea's team and you're just seeing where that goes in the Western Conference, there's going to be a lot of lumps there. And I also think when you, when you decide in that final year of a five-year contract to basically just kind of play it out to the end like they do really have to bring the bag after leaving you as kind of a you know a lame duck coach in that final year especially if you're like a top three coach of the year finisher like you expect to really be rewarded for that and I could understand from Oklahoma City's perspective where you're like you are heading into a rebuilding situation like you don't want to pay top dollar for a coach necessarily that's not your top priority especially if you're a small market so it did seem like they just kind of parted fairly amicably at the right time And there is some level of appeal to this Bulls job. I think the biggest part of the appeal is just expectations are so low. They they can't be you know cratered anymore. And so for a coach, that's always good. You get to come in, turn things around just a little bit. Everybody calls you a genius, and uh, you know that's that's not too bad at all. All right, Michael, we've reached just about the end of another episode of Open Floor, but we got one late breaking question in. It's from Victor in Sweden. He says. I've been a big fan of the podcast for about a year now, and I get way too amped up for each episode. Too kind, Victor. Too kind. He says, A few months ago, a fellow Open Floor Glow member sent an email requesting a segment at the end of each episode where the pod gives everybody some reading tips. He talks about articles or books or anything related to literature and writing. I realize that a large part of your guys' demographic may not be that interested in such a segment, but I'm a literature nerd, and so I want you and the pod to make it a thing. And he says, P.S. Celtics in seven. So, Michael, is this one of your directly family members living in Sweden, or is this actually Victor, as he claims? <laughs> I actually, this is me ghostwriting oh. email to to the uh to open floor it's mail. it's actually a great strategy for you i mean it would have been mm-hmm. better if i didn't already get in 45 <laughs> minutes of celtics digs you know but it was a good <laughs> deflection strategy can i just kick this off i mean it's a quick plug 
Um, Jeff Perlman sent me here in the bubble his new book that's called Three Ring Circus, which is an incredible title for a book all about the Lakers of the early 2000s, Kobe Shaq era. Um, you know, he's got all sorts of interviews with Jeannie Buss and everybody else on down there in the Lakers that are going to be informing that book. I'm very excited to start reading it. Um, he's in full promotion mode all across the world right now. He's on TV and podcasts and everything else. So I'm sure you've heard of this book. Um, I'm probably not the first person to mention it, but just in case, Victor, in Sweden, if you're interested in a kind of a deep dive to one of the more dramatic, melodramatic, uh, tense, but also, uh, you know, successful uh, eras and, and runs of the last, you know, 25 years or so in the NBA, that would be a, a good place to start. And I believe it's out right now, kind of everywhere. Michael, I know you've always got esoteric options for our listeners. What have you been reading? What's been top of mind for you? And how are you going to satisfy Victor, who wants the Pods uh, book club? Yeah, so first of all, I really want to read Jeff Perlman's book as well. He's one of my favorite authors, and uh, Showtime was a tremendous book that he previously wrote about the 80s Lakers and Magic Johnson and, and that rise, so I, I, I also can't wait to, to dig into that one. Um, so I'm not really reading anything about basketball right now. I'm trying to kind of get my mind, like before I go to bed, just in a different world, so I've been reading novels, and uh, the one I'm, I just finished is called uh, Homegoing by, I'm going to mispronounce the author's name, so bear with me, but I believe her name is Ya uh, Kiasi, and she's from Ghana and grew up in Alabama, and so that book, Homegoing, is basically about uh, two sisters uh, from centuries ago and one of them is involved in the uh, mid-Atlantic slave trade and comes to the United States and the other one stays in West Africa and each chapter is a push forward through time uh, to kind of see the effects of the family and uh, right up until uh, I guess not present day but pretty close to present day uh, and just how that move and that what that event was in you know the 1700s or whatever it was how that affected this family um from two different perspectives uh really good book really enjoyed it and now because i loved it so much i bought her new novel called transcended kingdom and i'm like 20 pages into it so i can't really speak too much about it uh but she's just an incredible writer and so that's kind of what i've been digging into um so i just answered my own email and there proud there you go, Victor. The pod never <laughs> disappoints. He's always got something to make you think. D- uh, check it out. Is it available online, widely available for our international listeners, Michael? Or are you going to have to do an audiobook version maybe where you <laughs> maybe you could actually like read the book on Instagram Live and Victor could watch you read it? What do you think? That would be a little creepy. I, b- I believe Victor can buy his own copy. Um, it's uh, the Homegoing won awards, so that one should definitely be out there. And this one was a highly anticipated drop that just came out. So I would imagine that uh, he shouldn't have too much difficulty finding his own copy. Well, there you go, Victor. Here we go. Just trying to satisfy all the happy customers out there around the world, Michael. Great job. All right. We've reached the end of another episode of Open Floor. As I mentioned earlier, follow Michael on Instagram and Twitter 
at Michael V as in Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golliver. On Twitter at Ben Golliver. Lots of stories up on the Washington Post this week. Check them out. WashingtonPost.com slash sports. We are on Apple Podcasts. If you search for Open Floor, that's two words. When you find our page, you can scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Michael, next week, we're going to be coming back with some hot 2020 NBA Finals talk. I cannot wait. The finish line is coming into focus. Until then, Michael, I will talk to you. Thanks, man. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. What are you looking for in a new smart TV? 4K picture quality? High quality and immersive sound? A sleek design? All of those are givens, but only the new Roku Pro Series has all of those and the Roku Streaming Experience, an award-winning OS. Get fast, easy access to all your apps like iHeart, where you can stream all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts all day, and regular all-inclusive trips to Roku City. The new Roku Pro Series, a smart TV built by the streaming pros. Zen Nicotine Pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life. Because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.